Am I on here? Am I on the... On the I, did, I clicked it on? It's on now? There we go. I got all flustered here. <laughs> Bad enough. They've pushed me in technology in the last three weeks, more than I've done the last 20 years, and it's freaking me out. Fifteen. Sixty-five. Sixty-five. Never you think it gets so old. But you young guys, be patient. It'll come. I want to welcome any visitors that might be here. What a joy it is to um, see what God has done. So I look at the films that come back and the things that go on. You may think I micromanage things. I don't do anything. I drive up in the morning and we get together, we pray, we go over the course of the day. I get in my cave and I lock myself up. I don't, I don't put things together. I don't micromanage anything. If God breathes his life into something, then he brings that ministry up, he raises the people up. And when it no longer is being used of God, we give, a, give it a decent burial, as Pastor Chuck used to say. So we don't, we don't give anything mouth to mouth here. We'll cut the cord, slap your nose and heart, and if you cry, we'll raise you. But we don't do umbilical cord ministry here. You are sufficient in yourself and responsible to God to do what He's called you to do. And if you do that, you will do well. And God's church will benefit from it, and so will the lost in a tremendous way. And so I commend you for your obedience and your, um, your yielding to the Lord to do all that He has done through the years of this ministry since 1980. What a, what a joy it has been to be your pastor and Lord willing, if he tarries, I can hang on here a little longer. But um, what a joy it's been. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love, and your grace. We pray, first of all, to worship you, Lord, for your goodness and love towards us. How good you are. How exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think, as your word says, you have done. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you. We pray that you would continue to use us and that, Father, we would yield to you. That in all things you would be honored, Lord. And so, Father, give us wisdom now as we look to your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You have a Bible. Why don't you turn to Luke chapter 23, please? Luke chapter 23, we're going to look at verses 1 through 25, and the message is entitled, What Will You Do With Jesus? Now, at times individuals are accused falsely and sentenced wrongly, in spite of the evidence of scripture and everything else, but for the most part we still have some form of justice, though it's getting worse and worse. But such was not the case for Jesus. He was uh, brought before Pilate on Good Friday. And this was the greatest injustice that has ever been committed to any person on earth. For Jesus Christ was absolutely sinless and innocent. But you see, you and I come into this world and we will die. But Jesus came to the world to die. In your place and mine. The religious um, trial of Jesus has uh, taken place. Now comes the political trial. 
All, both of them have three aspects. You have Annas, Caiaphas, and Sanhedrin. Luke omits uh, Caiaphas, gives us Annas, and then kind of just mentions Sanhedrin as they take him. The political one is Pilate, Herod, and Pilate. So they each have three faces. So what we want to do is look at the trial of Jesus before Pilate, which has three movements. Let me read for us here. Then the whole multitude of them rose up and led him to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ the king. Then Pilate asked him, saying, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him and said, It is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and to the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard Galilee... He asked if the man was a Galilean. And um, as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desire for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. And then he questioned him with many words, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and scribes stood vehemently and accused him. And then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in gorgeous robe, and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been an enmity with each other. And then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, said to them, You have brought this man to me. And as one who misleads the people, and indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent him back to him, and indeed, nothing deserving of death has, he, has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for him to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with the man! And released to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. And Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them. But they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. And then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insisting, demanding, with loud voices that he be crucified, and the voices of the, these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested, and he released to them the one they requested, who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison, but he delivered Jesus to their will. The trial of Jesus before Pilate lays out in three movements. First, we have Jesus was led to Pilate by the Jews, verse 1 through 5. Second, Jesus was sent to Herod by Pilate in verse 6 to 12. And thirdly, Jesus was returned to Pilate by Herod, 13 through 25. The first movement, Jesus is led to Pilate by the Jews, 1 through 5. Notice in verse 1, we have the party responsible for bringing Jesus to Pilate. The group refers to the Sanhedrin, the whole multitude of them rose and led him the pilot. The time is early in the morning when the elders and chief priests and the scribes 
came from Anna's house, Matthew 27, 1 and 2, Mark 15, 1. And then we also saw in Luke, the previous chapter, verse 54, where they're at. Luke omits Caiaphas and gives just a brief thing on the Sanhedrin. But um, Caiaphas was a son-in-law of Annas who prophesied that Jesus should die in John 18, 13 through 14, if you remember. Now, Jesus stated he would be delivered up to the Gentiles over and over again and be put to death um, from uh, all from the Confession of Caesarea Philippi in chapter 9 all the way down over and over again, chapters 9, chapter 17, chapter 18, all the way to the, till he gets to Jerusalem. The other Gospels give us two reasons the Sanhedrin had turned Jesus over to Pilate. The first is that it, it was envy. They envied Jesus, Matthew 27, 18, and Mark 15, 10. The people were following Jesus. He was rebuking and exposing them. So they hated Jesus, but they envied him because of the crowds. They honored him. They loved him. They followed him. The other is they didn't have the power to put someone to death. John 18, 31 said at this point it had been taken from them. Now, the man Pilate was ruling authority. He was a procurator or governor of Judea under the emperor Tiberius from 26 to 36 AD. And he's described by Philo as inflexible, merciless, and obstinate. And he does it by quoting a letter written to Caligula from uh, Agrippa I. So this man was somewhat to be uh, confronted with and dealt with. Pilate officially resided in Caesarea of the Mediterranean. Some of you have been there with us. Beautiful place. I don't blame him. But on Jewish feasts, he would come to Jerusalem because of the swelling of the population and because of the possibility of uproars and that. And Jesus was led to the Praetorium, the military barrack, and the judgment hall in the Antonius Fortress. And John 18, 28 tells us this. So again, putting all the three synoptics, and John gives us some sections, some gives something, some gives other, we get a full picture. Pilate had entered Jerusalem, if you remember, um, with the Roman standard, which was a type of idolatry for the Jews, so they hated him. And uh, they followed him to Caesarea, into an amphitheater, and Pilate told them that he would kill them, uh, but they challenged him, and he called his bluff, and it failed before him. Later, he robbed the temple of money to build an aqueduct. Some of you saw that aqueduct also along the Mediterranean. And um, it, it resulted in, in rioting, and he planted men within the, um, the crowds, and he killed them. And Philo tells us that the Jews had threatened to exercise their right and exploit him and report him for his cruelty and murder. But Pilate, once again continued his antagonism towards the Jew, and he hung shields of the emperor. Um, it, he refused to pull them down. And uh, finally, he was ordered by Tiberius, so he kept getting black marks in, in, in Rome against him, and he kept being confronted and challenged by the Jews, and um, he, he had lost all credibility and, and faith before them. So Pilate was afraid at this point to lose his position. He was walking on thin ice both with Rome and with the Jewish community. Now, the personal charges against Jesus is given to us in verse 2. These were formal decrees and charges against Jesus. And they began to accuse him saying, we found this fellow. The word accused is a technical term here for bringing legal charges in a court against someone and the derogatory term, this fella, 
demonstrates the hate they had, they had for him. You know, when you are confronting somebody and you don't like, you say, that guy. You don't mention his name. He doesn't deserve a name. The charges were three, if you notice here. The first being sedition, perverting the nation. The word perverting means to twist or to be disloyal um, to the nation of Rome. So here the religious rulers are playing both sides. They hate Rome, but they're going to use Rome for their benefit right now. The second is tax evasion, forbidding to pay tax to Caesar. And we saw this in the previous chapter, verse 20 through 26. You just shut them down. Anybody have a coin whose picture's on there? Give to Caesar the things of Caesar. Give to God the things of God. Let's get on. What's the next question? <laughs> the third is that he uh, was a rival to Caesar, saying that he was Christ, a king. All three are false charges, even the one of king, because when Jesus said he was king, he was not intending it the way they were. They were bringing on a political charge, the rival to Rome, so that he might condemn him. Now, the private examination of Jesus by Pilate in verse 3 is interesting. The question Pilate asked had to do with the third charge. He kind of dismissed the first two. But here's the third one. He says, are you king of the Jews? And it's emphatic in the Greek. You. Are you? You can imagine Pilate looking upon Jesus Beaten bruised from the previous night. He's been up all night. He's been arrested. He's been interrogated. He's been smacked and hit around by the religious priests. If you're a king, why, why are your subjects accusing you to me? You can imagine the thinking of, 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 of Pilate. The Lord Jesus answers Pilate without hesitation. He answered him, it is as you say, a definite Yes. Jesus didn't um, quibble or back off or was intimidated by anybody. And, and sometimes that pressure is there to intimidate us and, and it's a challenge to our lives. All three synoptic gospels record the answer affirmative, Matthew 27, Mark 15, as well as here. Now, John 18.34 gives us the words of Jesus to Pilate in the praetorium. He says, are you speaking for yourself about this or did others tell you this concerning me? Are you thinking of the Jews because you, you've come to the conclusion or because you heard it from somebody else? Jesus puts Pilate on trial. He turns it around the praetorium, by the way. It's neat to, to read that whole thing in John 18. Jesus ends up examining Pilate. Twice Pilate examines Jesus privately in the praetorium. In John 18, 33 through 38, Jesus told him that his kingdom was not of this world. And for this very reason, he was born. And everyone of the truth heard the, his voice, which Pilate said, what is truth? Ooh, isn't that the cry of today? The educators, the politicians, the pastors today, what is truth? Objective truth is gone. The truth of the gospel is gone. It's whatever everyone wants to believe. It's relativism. Look at verse 4. The proclamation of Pilate to the accusers about Jesus is given to us. Pilate addressed the accusers of Jesus. So Pilate said to the chief priest and to the crowd. The chief priest, of course, are Pharisees and Sadducees, scribes, the lawyers. The crowd was the people. The religious ruler had rounded up in hopes to turn them to their side against Jesus. But you've got a mixed multitude. You've got also people that love Jesus following there. And Pilate announced his verdict. I find no fault in him. This accusation that they had brought 
were unfounded by the examination, Pilate's saying. The death penalty was ludicrous at this point. The verdicts are stated in their three, by the way. In verse 4, he states it, find no fault in him. In verse 14, find no fault concerning the things they accused him of doing. And in 22, Pilate found no reason to put him to death. John also gives three times. Beyond a shadow of a doubt, the evidence presented in the gospel, Jesus was absolutely innocent. He should have been acquitted. Look at five. The people protested to Pilate about his verdict. They responded with a greater determination, but they were the more fierce. They became more adamant. Now, you and I are very familiar with this type of thing in our day. You see crowds get adamant, judgments that are made, and they protest, and they say, don't confuse the issue with the facts. Forget the truth. It's wrong because you don't agree with us. Wow. Welcome to the standard of the day. Both within the church and outside the church. And in Washington. All the way around. In fact, the world. What is truth? They immediately expressed their objection, repeating the charges of sedition against Rome, saying, He steers up the people, teaching throughout all of Judea, beginning from Galilee, the north, to this place, the south. They were set on their way in spite of the lack of evidence. It didn't make any difference. It didn't matter to them. And people do this today. You ask them direct questions. They don't confront. They don't dialogue. They don't argue. They don't, they don't debate. But they just proclaim their liberal indoctrination, never confronting the question. They make things an emotional issue, a non-truth issue. A person guilty of great evil can be manipulated and forced to do Many things by people who hold that over him. This was Pilate. And many men and women have gone down and politicians because someone has their thumb over them. You don't do what I tell you. I'll put you on um, YouTubes. In fact, they put people on YouTubes that is absolutely false. Today, people can shoot their mouth and don't have to prove anything and destroy people's lives. Isaiah, remember, said evil, good, good, evil. That's what they call it. Welcome to America and the world. You can go down to one of the clinics here in Pasadena, kill your baby through abortion. They'll call you good. If you try to convince them that it's wrong, they'll call you evil. Universities and seminaries that profess to be Christian but contradict the teachings of the Scriptures and they tolerate anything and everything are like the Sanhedrin. They're denying Jesus. Denying the inerrancy of Scripture down the street, Fuller Seminary. Tells us the Scriptures have errors. Integrating human psychology, calling it Christian psychology, what a lie. Embracing political correctness, ignoring moral and ethical judgments, putting objective truth completely away as taught by the Bible. Many of these campuses that call themselves Christians, there's drinking, there's sexual activity going on, and even drugs. 
In fact, I was called by someone from APU because I went there years ago. And they asked me how what my experience, what I thought, and I exposed them. I said, you know, you guys are just like secular universities. There's drinking, partying, sex, everything going on there. They go, oh, I didn't know that. I said, well, what school are you going to? So they didn't want to talk to me too long. Um, listen to Jeremiah 14, 14. It says, And the Lord said to me, The prophets prophesy lie in my name. I have not sent them, commanded them, nor spoken to them. They prophesy to you a false vision, divination, worthless things, and the deceit of their hearts. That's where we're at, ladies and gentlemen. Pastors and churches and Christian radio stations that profess to be Christians but deny by word and deed on who they have on the, on the air, what they allowed to teach. Like the Sanhedrin also deny Jesus. Culturalizing the gospel, redefining Christians and Christianity in the church, focusing always on the positive optimism, ignoring the warnings and consequences of the scriptures, compromising and minimizing objective truth again, and holiness, focusing on subjective reasoning and relativism, just like the ungodly world. But everybody just moves on with it. Second Peter 2, one two says, But there will also false prophets among the people, even there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them, and bring in themselves swift destruction. Listen carefully. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. Many will follow their destructive ways. False teachers are in the church, not outside the church. Judas Iscariot were with Jesus, not with the Pharisees. Remember that. Beloved, I beg you, as sojourners, pilgrims, abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. If you are godly, if you love the Lord, if you're being true to the Scripture, and somebody calls you unloving, legalistic, self-righteous, wear it as a badge with humility. Welcome to the church of 2015. It calls itself Christian. Jesus was led to Pilate by the Jews. The names changed, but the acts don't. Second movement comes in 6 through 12. Jesus was led to Herod by Pilate. In 6 through 7, the perfect opportunity came for Pilate. The shrewd politician saw an opportunity to escape judging Jesus. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. So the account of Pilate sending Jesus to Herod here is unique of Luke from verse 6 down to 16. Luke gives us this section. The other two Gospels don't have it, Matthew and Mark. Now, Herod's self-serving mind was quick. He's already in trouble with Rome, as we've seen. He didn't need one more thing. He saw a way of escape. Galilee came up, bing! A light and a bell came on. He seized the moment for personal evasion. Listen to his words. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, 
who was also in Jerusalem at that time. I know Pilate said, oh, the gods are on my side. I don't have to send him all the way up north with a big contingent of soldiers. He's right here in town. But it was evil. Herod Antipas is the name, son of Herod the Great, one of three sons who was made a tetrarch over the, his father's kingdom when he died in 4 B.C. His was Galilee and Perea. Pilate wanted nothing to do with Jesus. Realizing he was in Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to him. And the word sent there is a technical legal word for remitting a case from one court to another, usually from a lower to a higher. So in doing this, he would appear honoring Herod and respecting him by referring the rightful authority and case to him. Politicians are like that. They're like weather vanes. It just depends which way the wind's blowing. But Pilate actually benefited himself because he didn't want anything to do with Jesus. Now, in verse 9, he examined Jesus, possibly about the three accusations, that of the perverting the nation, evading taxes, and the fact that he said he was king. We're not told. Luke just tells us he spoke to him about those words. We don't know what those words were. But the response of Jesus is the most interesting here and the most important. It was silence. But he answered him, nothing. Jesus knew the heart of Herod. He had um, beheaded his cousin John the Baptist at the request of Herodias, as uh, her daughter danced before him. And um, he had exposed him for his uh, adulterous affair with his uh, uh, brother Philip's um, wife. And yet, Herod just cut his head off. No big deal. Herod heard of Jesus doing miracles, and, um, and when he heard that, he said it was John the Baptist risen from the dead in Matthew 14, 1 and 2. Some Pharisees, if you remember, in Luke 13, 31 and 32, when we read there, had come to Jesus and said, go out and depart from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go tell that fox, it's in the feminine, if you think Jesus is meek and mild and never says mean things. Go tell that female fox, that he, she. Behold, I cast out demons and perform curses today. And tomorrow and the third day I will be perfected. The sign of the resurrection. He wasn't intimidated by him then, nor is he now. He knew Herod was insincere and vile. His silence was the strongest rebuke. Herod had gone too far. Whenever Jesus ceases to speak to anybody, you know it's tragic. But you know that he's done all that he can before he's silent. It may be one time and one time alone, if you're here, that you will hear the gospel. I would not pass it up. You get at least one chance. No one deserves to. And everybody will stand before God without excuse. Herod was uh, pressured by the Jewish leaders to rule against Jesus. It says, 
And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused them. Verse 10. The priests were Sadducees. How ironic. They deny the resurrection of spirits and angels. There are many professors and seminaries and Christian churches and Bible schools that don't believe in the inerrancy of the scripture and the resurrection, the virgin birth, the second coming or whatever. Why do you call yourself a Christian? The scribes were the lawyers, the law circumventors. <laughs> if you're a lawyer and you're a Christian, thank God for you. But listen to me. You're going to have to have tough decisions to make. Because what is legal is not always moral and ethical. And if you go with the legal rather than the moral and ethical, God will hold you responsible. It's difficult business. You're accountable. They accused Jesus vehemently, forcibly, very strong words. This is found only one time apart from Acts 18.28. Their, their mind is made up. Mob mentality. Look at 11. The private mocking of Jesus by Herod revealed his disdain for him. Herod looked down on Jesus. Then Herod with the men of, his men of war treated him with contempt and mocked him. The word contempt means to account as nothing. To despise him utterly. No value, no appreciation, nothing. Mocked him means to play with him, to make fun of someone. We're all very familiar with the cruelty of, of the human race. Especially if they have great power and ability to demean and degrade Someone before others. Herod had Jesus ridiculed. He arrayed him in a gorgeous robe. The word array means to throw around him. Just imagine that they're just playing with him. Put that robe around him. Look at the king. Gorgeous means shining, elegant apparel. People right away think, uh, well, we got the Bible. It's a contradiction because the other gospels say purple and scarlet. No contradiction. This is Herod. The other ones are when Pilate sends them to the other soldiers. Context, context, context. Notice Herod dismissed Jesus. He sends him back to Pilate. He's done. Fun's over. Uh, my anticipation was short-lived and really wasn't all that I thought it would be. That's the expression and response of some people to the gospel in Jesus. The plan of Pilate didn't work. The pressure is even greater now. In verse 12, Herod was reconciled by Pilate at, that, at the expense of Jesus. Notice that. Little note that Luke gives us. Their common enemy united them. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other. And their selfish ambitions separated them, which we don't know which it is. For previously, they had been at enmity with each other. Now, we know earlier by Luke that, that um, uh, Pilate had shed some bloodshed up in Galilee. We also know that um, Rome had, uh, had uh, taken down uh, Archelaus, his brother, from part of his reign in Judah and given it to uh, Pilate. 
So there was some, at least those two things that were going on. But it's interesting how people that hate each other, if they find a common enemy, they'll join together until that enemy's gone. Then they'll be fighting each other again. Islam is the same thing. They've been killing each other for all their history. But now they've got a common enemy, so they're all united. And when they get done with us or anybody else, they'll go back to killing each other. No different. President Jefferson didn't have a Quran in his, in his library because he loved uh, Islam, because he wanted to find out about them because they were pirating our ships. Marco Polo didn't go around the long way because uh, the Muslims were friendly. The Crusades didn't happen because the Muslims were handing out food and, and clothes. And by the way, the number of people that Islam has killed compared to Christians, you better do your numbers, you better do your homework. And President Obama also. David Barton rebuked him by setting it out in the correction. People are ignorant about history today. So they're being snowed in every way. It has been said that power corrupts absolutely, and absolute power corrupts absolutely, or power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. You take a person who has an authority and a power that is not uh, checked, that uh, they feel that they can do what they want, and then people are, are yes people around them, and they don't check them. And they don't call them on things. God help that person. The more power, the more corrupt. The politicians of our world do not have any interest in Jesus or the gospel. They may be religious. They may be moral. Some of them. They may be ethical. They may be even dedicated to the families and good causes. But if they are politicians, they cannot accept the narrowness of Christ and think their career is going to just take off. And those that do commit themselves to that faithful commitment to Christ, God has His hand upon them and God protects them at times and sometimes He allows them to be ousted out. So there are a few. Paul puts it this way, 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise that will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the dispute of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Not the preaching of foolishness. The foolishness of the message preached. 1 Corinthians 1, 18-21. You mean, you mean if you just proclaim that somebody's sins can be forgiven, they're going to get eternal life, they're going to live forever. That's stupid. No. That's the wisdom of God. <laughs> the politicians that hate each other will give an appearance of being united in public, in the arena of the public arena, when they have that common enemy, no different, even as Pilate. The founding fathers of our nation believed in God, family, and country. Now we believe in man, evolution, and world community. The founding fathers understood Man must depend on God and that the family is the nuclear society making a strong nation. Today, the majority of our politicians don't believe in God. They mock God. They don't want to serve. They want to be served. What was the code word when they got bin Laden? Geronimo for God and country. There you go, Washington. God and country, right priorities, right orders. Where'd that come from? Our founding fathers. 
our documents, our Constitution. The goal of the politician today is power, money, and fame without character. The political correctness of our day is embraced and promoted by legislation and is coming more and more, not to help people, but rather to control, enslave, and destroy people to further their empowerment over people. Pretty soon, we're not going to be able to have the variety of food. They're only going to give you what they think is best for you, and the portions will get smaller, and the price will get greater. Well, we used to look at communism and say, that's horrible. Wow. And people are saying, where can I get this stuff? Wow. Acts 26, 27, 28. Listen to Paul. He was under such judgment, being falsely accused and under house arrest. Paul laid a heavy witness uh, of the gospel on Agrippa. And he said to him, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, <laughs> You almost persuade me to become a Christian. At that point, Paul says, I would that you and everyone present here were all together as I am, except for these bonds, these chains. Wow. Men of faith. Much more influential, much more powerful, much more courageous the men of self-interest of politicians. Wow. Jesus was brought before Herod. Quite an event. The third movement comes when Jesus was returned to Pilate by Herod in 13 through 25. Notice 13 through 17. The plan of Pilate based on the evidence and examination of Jesus by himself and Herod was proclaimed here. Again, the passage is found only in Luke's gospel. And Pilate summoned all of them. And Pilate, when he had um, called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, Pilate was counting on the people, the crowd that was for Jesus would be greater and more influential than the others. I don't know how he was counting them, but this was his ace in the hole. He, he's in a narrow strait. So Pilate confirms his first judgment of innocence over Jesus, emphatic in the Greek, and said to them, You have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning these things of which you accuse him. Verse 14. And then Pilate reported the judgment of innocence by Herod over Jesus also. 15. No, neither did Herod. For I sent you back to him, and indeed nothing deserving of death has been done by him. Interesting, the Jewish law required two or three witnesses to put someone to death. Deuteronomy 19.15, then Matthew 18.6 speaks about Matthew 18, going by one, by twos, by threes. So you see the parallel. Now notice Pilate told the Jews in verse 16, I will therefore chastise him. And release you. Now, now he's, he's hoping it's going to work. Pilate tried to use the Passover even to escape dealing with, it, with Jesus. Through this parenthetical passage, it says, For it was necessary for him to release one to them at the feast. So he's got a second ace up his sleeve. 
Notice in 18 through 21, you have the protest of the people against the sentence of Jesus by Pilate. Their immediate response was, listen, intolerance. And they all cried out at once saying, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. Pilate's mistake was in asking the people to choose. If you're a judge, you don't ask, you tell. The governor answered and said to them, Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas, the son of the father. Matthew 27, 21 tells that. He was shocked, I'm sure. As bad as he was, as evil as he was. The plan of Pilate backfired. John 18, 40 says, Then they all cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Look at 19. The man was a true criminal who had been thrown in prison for a certain rebellion made in the city and for murder. So he, he was a true seditious person and he truly wasn't paying taxes and he truly was acting as if he was a king. <laughs> Matthew twenty-seven sixteen says, And at that time they had a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. Mark fifteen seven says, Barabbas was chained with his fellow rebels. They had committed murder in the rebellion. All four gospels named Barabbas. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Jesus was numbered with the transgressions concerning his death. Even at this point, Jesus is fulfilling prophecy after prophecy in every way. Pilate did not want to sentence Jesus to death. Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, verse 20. He knew he was innocent, as bad as Pilate was. Pilate was warned by his wife, by the way. Matthew 27, 19 says, while he was sitting in the judgment, here you're you're the judge, you're on your seat. While sitting in the judgment seat, his wife sent to him saying, have nothing to do with this just man, not just this man, this just man, for I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? The dream? (laughs) And others? You think God deals with Putin? With the corrupt leaders in Iran? With the president of Mexico? The White House? Oh, God knocks and God communicates even if they don't want to hear. I guarantee you there's no such thing as your unlisted number with God. Pilate was answered. But they shouted saying, crucify him, crucify him. The Greek indicates they continue repeatedly over and over their demands. Now again, we are very familiar with this type of mob mentality. We saw it in Ferguson. Forget the the issues. Forget the facts. Don't confuse the issue. If you don't agree with us, let's burn the town down. Really? Wow. Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? Another dumb question. They all said, let him be crucified. Matthew 27, 22. Mark 15, 12 through 13. 
says king of the Jews rather than Christ and confirms the words, let him be crucified. Wow. Pilate is really up against the wall, is he? In 22 through 25, you have the personal compromise now of Pilate. In 22, Pilate abdicated all his authority now. Then he said to them the third time, Why? What evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. In spite of the evidence and the legal verdict of verse 4, 14 and 22. In spite of knowing they brought him... Jesus out of envy and not having the authority to put him to death. In spite of Pilate's wife warning him, Pilate for the third time wanted to release Jesus. The third time Pilate said, don't you know, over in John's gospel 19, 10, 11, speaking to you, don't you know I have power to crucify you and release you? Jesus answered, You could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, the one who delivers me to you has the greater sin. Rome crucified him, but the Jewish nation was the greater culprit. And their judgment would come in 70 AD. He already said it over and over again. In fact, later on, before the chapter's end, and he's going to the cross... The women are weeping. He says, weep not for me, weep for yourself. There'll be the day when you'll say, I wish I had never had children. That's how horrible it's going to be. The decisions our our politicians have made and are making, they don't have any idea what they're creating. They think they're going to be okay. They don't care about you and I. But they have no idea what's coming. No idea. In 22, Pilate attempted to affirm his verdict. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. He thinks he's got it made. John 19, 12, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried, saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whoever makes himself a king speaks against Caesar. Ooh, this was the guillotine. This was it. Pilate saw that he was in deep, deep trouble now. Pilate was drowned out by the crowd as they pressed their urgent demand. But, verse 23, they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he be crucified. And the voices of these men and the chief priests, listen, prevailed. It means to be strong to another's detriment, to overcome them. The only time found in the New Testament. This was it. It was done. Once something is done, certain things, you can never go back. Certain sins are committed, they can't be undone. Now, they can be forgiven, thank God. But there's certain things you do, nothing's going to change. That you did them, or that it affected others. It's in motion. Matthew tells us, 27, 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail at all, but rather that the tumult was arising, he took water and he washed his hands before the Moses, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. You see to it. This just person, he says it again. But you can't wash your hands of it. Like the proverb says about the prostitute, she goes out and then she wipes her mouth and says, what, I, I didn't do nothing. 
What's, what's the big deal? Conscience gone. The response is given to us in Matthew 27, 25. Listen carefully. The people gladly accepted the culpability. And all the people said, His blood be on us and on our children. Ooh. And that's who pays the greater price. What's happening in America to me? I'm old. I've lived. My son, my daughter, my grandchildren. So I have to come back to God. God, you're on the throne. You were sufficient for Daniel. You were sufficient for Esther. So help me to be a light and encouragement to them to walk with you. That's our hope, ladies and gentlemen. Not America. But Jesus Christ. Pilate caved in to this pressure. So Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they requested. Verse 24. The word gave there means uh, the approval of their demand. Found only this time. Um, He chose to protect himself. Notice Pilate crucified an innocent man. And he released to them the one they requested. Who for rebellion and murder had been thrown into prison. But he delivered to the will, of course, Jesus. Mark 15, 15 says, So Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them and delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. John 19, 1 says, So then Pilate took Jesus and scourged him. The scourging, the cat of nine tails, 13 stripes on the left, the right, over the top, ligaments, bone, lungs, everything. Most people would not survive the scourging. 39 is mercy, 40 is law, punishment, one less mercy. It's been put like this, knowledge can be memorized. Wisdom must think through things. Wisdom is something that enables us to use knowledge rightly. Wisdom resists pressure, thinks for itself, and is reconciled to use its own judgment. There was a young lady from Niger who smiled as she rode on the tiger. She came back from the ride with the lady inside and a smile on the face of the tiger. As Pilate and so many of our politicians and educators and quote, quote, Christians today. By the decisions they're making against Jesus. Many do not want to make a judgment on Jesus to appear non-judgmental and, 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 and to appear to be clever. But even as Pilate was not innocent of his choice, neither is anybody in their choice. Pilate did not pay heed to his wife's warnings. People don't pay heed to their warnings. Though it may cost you your wife, your husband, your, 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 your job, or maybe even your life, it is your choice. Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after him, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me, Luke 9, 23. It's been for every generation. It bypasses culture, race, the time, everything. Jesus was seen as a miracle worker to Herod by a selfish desire. People today see Jesus like that too. Many Christians believe that, you know, Jesus is just uh, one who gets you rich and healthy. It's your divine right to be healthy and wealthy. That's what it's all about. 
And if you're not wealthy, you don't have enough faith. If you're not healed, you don't have enough faith. Really? Wow. I want to hear when they, when they confront Jesus. See what Jesus tells them. Herod was expecting an outward miracle, not an inward miracle of transformation. That was his problem. The reasons why people reject Jesus can be many. It can be a money, it can be a career, a man, a woman, whatever it may be. Each person will be responsible for the choices they make for rejecting Jesus. The person will be, uh, not be able to justify or excuse themselves. You won't be able to wash your hands. No one will, like Pilate. Too often people evade uh, that decision, uh, like Pilate, um, but no decision is a decision in itself. You have chosen not to choose by default. There is no middle ground. Either you're born again and you're living for Jesus, or you're living for yourself, the world, or Satan. They're all the same to me. No different. Listen to John 3.36. He who believes in the Son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the Son has not... Has, has not seen life, but the wrath of God abides in him. Pretty awesome words. There's no wiggle room. Pilate, again, is a perfect example of compromise by social pressures. All of us will deal with these things every day. We must guard our heart and mind. If you call yourself a Christian, you must agree with everything the Bible teaches. You can't pick and choose. You have to believe that Jesus is God. 100%, 100% man. He came the first time. He's coming the second time. Virgin born. He alone can forgive sins. All these things. He's the only way to the Father. John 14, 6. He's the only name. Acts 4, 12. He's the only mediator. First Timothy 2, 5. There's no wiggle room. Every time you and I compromise and sin, it disrupts our fellowship. It takes away from abundant life. Thank God He's given us a way of escape. Jesus Christ. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, God will not hear me. Thank God for First John 2, 1. It says, My little children, I write these things that you do not practice sin, but when you stumble and fall, you have Jesus Christ righteous, an advocate for you, a lawyer for the defense. Thank God. But here's the, here's the kicker. You must acknowledge your sin, agree that it's sin, confess your sin, abandon your sin. You're back in fellowship. Simple. Not I'm sorry. That's regret. It's called repentance. If you don't know Jesus, and it's possible you don't, what will you do with Jesus this morning? Will you crucify him or pronounce him innocent and call upon his name? It's your choice. You are Pilate. You must make a choice. Repentance for sin through his name brings a new birth, transformation by the Spirit of God. Luke 12a says, Also I say to you, whoever confesses me before man, him, the Son of Man, also will confess before my, the angels of God. Wow. That's the choice. Jesus was returned to Pilate by Herod. Three movements in the trial of Pilate. Jesus was led to Pilate by the Jews. Jesus was sent to Herod by Pilate. And Jesus will return to Pilate by Herod. This 
puts everybody in the same position of decision making. No one can escape it. It's history. Either you are for Jesus or you're against him. There is no middle ground, ladies and gentlemen. And your life must line up with what his word says. We're not talking about perfection. I'm not perfect, trust me. But we are calling for a transformed life by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your goodness, your love. Deal with us. And Lord, we pray for those that perhaps are here don't know you, Lord. You administer unto them, Lord. Thank you for them. And Lord, we pray even now you would deal with them. As well as with us, that we're compromising, that there's things in our life, Lord, that keep us from you. As you're praying, if you're here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then God has brought you here to be saved. To repent of your sins. You might be in the balcony, you might be on the floor, you might be over the internet. This is your prayer to Him. I can't save you. I couldn't even save myself. He alone can do that. If you believe that He's the Savior of the world who died for you and rose from the dead, then you can call upon Him right now. It's called a prayer of repentance. This is your prayer to Him if you want to be born again. Right where you sit, you can say it to Him. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Fill me with your spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.